Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Today's topic is, should my company borrow money? And, you know, you, you talk about borrowing and lending, and it's it's automatically a charged topic. And so much of our so much of our consciousness, I think, revolves around debt. And I don't know if it's always been that way. Certainly, there, certainly throughout history, people have, have talked about debt, usually from the dangers of debt. Of course, neither a lender nor, neither a borrower nor a lender be is a quote that is attributed to, uh, to, to Benjamin Franklin. Um, and, and of course, you know, there's, there's a whole ton of discussion around medical debt, student debt, the national debt. There are individuals that, you know, have, have made frankly fortunes and careers, uh, advising people against the dangers of debt. You know, Dave, Dave Ramsey is probably the, um, the most important one, but there, there are several others, of course. And, um, you know, and, and I see that this, this, this mentality does bleed over into the corporate world to, to some extent. And, you know, the, the funny thing about, there are a lot of funny things about debt. You know, one, it has a mystique to it. Um, I, I think because, um, it, you know, when debt works well, it works great. When it works very, when it works badly or when the outcome is bad, the, the, the outcome is usually spectacular, right? And even our, our most recent um, uh, past president, it, you know, once he's had, you know, there's at least a lot of suspicion. We don't know his full financial position, but the, the, the prevailing suspicion or understanding or belief, I don't want to use suspicion in a pejorative sense. That's not the intent, but the belief that you know, our own president has built an empire on debt and that he's still very heavily uh, leveraged. But, you know, in spite of that fact, he, he doesn't appear to be financially hurting. So, you know, debt can be, can be somewhat, can be somewhat paradoxical. And, and, and I think, I think because the, the, you know, when debt fails, it fails badly. It fails in a lot of ways publicly. And, you know, who doesn't love a good car crash um, as long as you're not in it? You know, I think that generates a lot of attention. And, and, I'm, you know, and I'm not a debt expert at all. I have much more experience on the, ex- on the equity side than the debt side, which is we have a guest coming up that does know what he's talking about. Um, but, but it's, it's, you know, it's understanding that debt is a power tool, right? And, and a power tool, you know, take a, a, a circular saw as a great example, right? If, if you know what you're doing and you respect the power of the tool, the circular saw, 
you can build amazing things, right? You can build furniture. You can, you can build a shelter, you know, effectively with a circular saw and a few other tools. Not that I'd ever do it. I'm incompetent, but I've heard, I've seen people do it. And this seems to be the way that it happens. Conversely, if you don't know what you're doing, right? If you put your hand in the wrong place, um, you know, next thing you know, your name is lefty, uh, or, or the claw or whatever, right? But the, the saw itself isn't bad. It's, it's simply a matter of the, the, the capability and the emotional intelligence of the person using it. And so as a consequence, you know, I do think that, uh, of course, there are companies that do, that use data irresponsibly. And, you know, we've, we've had a, we've had an interview on a podcast with uh, Tom Roseland of Bodker Ramsey talking about, you know, should I enter into a workout? So we've covered that part and eventually we'll cover bankruptcy as well. I just haven't really found the right guest for that, but, but, and and we've talked about SBA lending in, 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 you know, in a very sort of particular finite discussion, but we haven't had a far ranging strategic discussion about debt, how it works, you know, the world of debt is is much more expansive than simply SBA lending. SBA is a great program, don't get me wrong. It's it's one thing that I think our government actually has implemented pretty well with uh, a lot of the desired effect. Um, but but uh, there's there's a lot more to it. So I wanted I wanted to give this topic, uh, frankly, the amount of depth and breathing space that it is due. And helping us fill that breathing space is uh, is my friend Bill McDermott. Um, Bill and I have known each other for for over a decade. He is a graduate from Wake Forest University, and launched a career in banking that spanned thirty two years. And uh, in spite of knowing Bill for a while, as, as I've said previously on this program, you know, I'll, I'll dig into somebody's bio and I learned learn something that I did not know. And I did not know that he first started out as the repo man for Wachovia Bank in their management training program. Um, and he later moved to Peachtree Bank, which later became SunTrust. You all know the deal. SunTrust, SunTrust is something like you know the product the product of about nine thousand mergers, and that's that's how banking works, I guess. You know, there he he was a great producer of both loans and deposits for the bank, um, climbing the ranks to ultimately become a group vice president for the commercial uh, for the commercial banking division. And in 2001, Bill's group won the SunTrust Cup, the highly coveted, I imagine, SunTrust Cup for being the highest performing commercial bank group in the company. Um, he worked in community banking, becoming a top producer for Ironstone Bank, et cetera, et cetera. So Bill really knows what he's talking about. Over the last year, over the last 11 years, Bill has been the profitability coach, a recovering commercial banker. He has served over 200 clients in the last year by delivering results. I don't know if it's last year or not. He'll clarify it. I think it's more than that. By delivering results-oriented insights, helping them to make financial, to take them, sorry, from financial confusion to financial clarity. Bill currently sits on the board of directors for Pinnacle Bank. He also hosts a monthly podcast, Profit Sense, which features stories of successful business owners and the professionals that advise them. When Bill is not working, you can find him on the golf course, gardening, spending time with his family, and leading a small group at his local church. Bill McDermott, welcome to the program. Mike, thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, excited about talking about the topic. And uh, yes, uh, the repo man uh, spent time either collecting payments at the local furniture factory, uh, did move to uh, Kinston, North Carolina, which is tobacco country. So uh, back in the day, I was known to uh, 
collect past due car payments uh, from some of the uh, tobacco workers coming up out of the field. Had a cash receipt book and uh, collected those uh, payments, or I did have to repossess a car or two in my day. So back then, they thought you had to figure out a way to collect loans before you could make them. So uh, I did survive that, by the way, as proof of me being here, right? <laughs> yeah, you know. Other, otherwise, I have to say this company, this, this podcast, is sponsored by sponsored by Ouija. Um, so clearly, <laughs> you're here to you're here to do it. But you know, and it, when we were talking off air, you told me something that I thought was fascinating that makes all the sense in the world to me, and that is, you said that before they'd let you lend money, you'd have to collect it. Yeah, and so. Um, Essentially, as a banker, you have to know the characteristics of a good loan from a bad loan. And so you learn the bad loans first. Unfortunately, you learn uh, what not to do uh, before you learn what to do. And uh, the perspective of a banker in lending money from a banker's point of view, everything is about risk. Uh, A lot of people don't really understand that a bank really only makes about a four or a five percent gross margin. They're leveraged about 10 to one. So they don't really have much room to make mistakes given that margin and given that leverage position. So uh, it is risky to be in the money lending business. Plus, they're not loaning their money. They're loaning their depositors money. They have to be sure that they get that money back so that they can take care of their depositors as well. You know, it, and I, I'm I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna set a record here. I'm gonna rip up the script before I even get to the first question. Um, but that is, you know, I think what that would teach you. You know, they 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 talk about the C's of of borrowing. I can't remember if it's four or five C's, but I recall that one of them is character, and that must yep. teach you a lot about the character part. And I wonder if some of that is getting lost. You know, banking is like everybody else is now into data analytics. And, um, but you know, you, it's, it's hard to do that with character. And I'm, I'm curious if you have a view as to whether or not maybe that one of the C's is now getting lost a little bit because one, they're not making people learn how to collect money and, and see borrowers face to face before they lend it. Um, and, and two, if that were so focused on analytics where, you know, maybe, maybe sometimes we go a little bit overboard. Yeah. And so I think, uh, Another another point. So I think you're spot on in what you're saying. Yeah, character. Um, the average banker right now that is interfacing with a business owner client typically has not had any form of credit training. Uh, and I'm generalizing here, uh, but most bankers below the age of 40 uh, may not have had any formalized credit training. And so they might be able to evaluate character, uh, but they also may not. The other thing is there was a time when the banker you met with face-to-face had the authority to approve the loan. Now the approval process is the salesperson meets with that business owner, gets the financial information, takes it to the credit approver. Well, the credit approver is kind of like the Wizard of Oz behind the, uh, the green curtain pulling all the levers, uh, but never himself or herself gets the opportunity to determine the character of that borrower. And, and I mean, you know, you, you, you almost, you really can't know it. You know, you try to get a, 
we try to get a view of it, of course, with credit history, but that's only one one piece of the deal. But anyway, we do need to get through these questions. But uh, you know, I just love talking about this stuff, and I, I could for a long time, but we do need to get into it. So I'd like to start at a very basic level, and that is, you know, talk about what you see currently as what is more or less a typical borrowing process. And does that vary a lot or, or, you know, can you generalize it fairly widely that most, most lending programs or lending entities, including banks, follow that? Yeah, um, at a high level, there are some commonalities. I think the, uh, uh, the first thing is a business owner has to put together a loan package. Uh, that loan package is generally going to have three years worth of historical financial information may have the most recent uh, interim financials. You know, we just finished January, so a January balance sheet and an income statement. Uh, It will include a personal financial statement of any owner that has more than 20% ownership uh, because a bank looks at the people that make up the ownership of the business. Uh, Yes, they are loaning to the business, but Generally, that business is a reflection of the people that are running it. So first part is the loan package, Mike. The second part, generally a credit interview. Again, as I mentioned, banks are looking at everything in in terms of risk. So they will have analyzed those financials. They're going to have some underwriting questions, what's going on in the business. Uh, But yeah, to your point about the C's, there are five C's that as they're going through that interview, Uh, They're going to be evaluating the character of the borrowers. They're going to be looking at the cash flow. Uh, Does the business have the ability to pay it back? Uh, They're going to be looking at credit score. Generally, the business owner's personal credit score is the proxy for the business. Uh, They're going to be looking at collateral. Do they have the ability to secure the loan? Uh, And then the last thing has nothing to do uh, with the business or the business owner. But they're looking at conditions, specifically economic conditions. So we just are hopefully on the tail end of a pandemic. Uh, but the economic conditions and the economic uncertainty have played a big role in banks' willingness to loan money uh, in the current economic environment. And so credit has tightened uh, because conditions of an economic uncertainty have tightened. Uh, but that's generally the process, loan package credit interview, uh, evaluating the five C's. Uh, It's really important for the business owner to have a clear request. And it's also very important for the business owner to have a compelling case. Uh, Why should the bank loan them money? Uh, How does the company present itself in terms of, of risk? And if there are any risks, can those risks be mitigated uh, to help the bank approve the loan? So I'm I'm curious because you've talked about banks banks tightening lending standards, and a lot has been made around Fed policy, not just now, but really starting in 2008 when we entered the quantitative easing phase, and all of a sudden quantitative easing entered the jargon, right? And as as a person who's a trained economist, um, that scared the living you know what out of me because you're not supposed to be able to do that, right? And it turns right. out at least for now you are. But but I I, I there's a paradox that's happened I think and I'd love you to comment on it which is you know things like quantitative easing things like lowering 
um, uh, the disc, the discount rate, I, you know, the fed rate is supposed to make more money available for lending, but you know, it's one thing to make more money available. It's another to, it's another for the bank to feel comfortable. They're going to actually get that money back. Right. And those two things don't always, don't always flow together and cooperate the way that I think policymakers would like. Yeah. And so let's go back to 2008, 2009. Uh, quantitative easing was to make more money more available. Uh, but frankly, uh, banks had capital calls. They had liquidity calls. There was a huge devaluation of real estate. Uh, banks had to actually reset their portfolios. And frankly, Mike, there were a lot of bank failures because of that. Yep. Uh, they were undercapitalized. Uh, there were cease and desist orders. Uh, banking is a highly regulated uh, business uh, to protect the depositors, of course. And so you had record bank failures. So even though banks are supposed to always be healthy, uh, the level of real estate lending caused a lot of banks to become undercapitalized. And so the quantitative easing really didn't help primarily because it was the banks that were in poor financial position at that moment, which created a huge consolidation during that phase. Yeah, so um, I'm going to combine kind of two questions here because I think it just flows better. And that is, you know, well, well actually, let's do it this way. So the, the, my next question is when, when, when you're lending money, do banks, do banks care as to the reason they'll probably, you know, they, are they going to ask what you want the money for? And if so, does the answer matter as long as maybe there's enough collateral cash flow, whatever? Um, and, and what are, what are some, what are some good reasons to borrow money and what are some not so great reasons to borrow money? Yeah. So that's a great question. And the answer, uh, is do banks care about what the money is being used for? Absolutely. Unequivocally, yes. As a matter of fact, banks have very specific lending policy that says, I will loan into these situations. I will not loan into these situations. So for example, you know, appropriate reasons for borrowing money. And I'm going to go back to your circular saw, uh, which I thought was a great example. Uh, circular saw used well from a banking point of view. Uh, having a line of credit for a business eases the cash flow bumps. You know, all business owners uh, have generally erratic cash flow. Uh, it can either be feast or famine. Having a line of credit helps those famine times by having cash available to insert uh, into the business. Uh, purchasing fixed assets, uh, a business that may need equipment. Uh, may need vehicles. Uh, fixed assets also include real estate. A lot of businesses will uh, uh, buy a building and lease it to their company. So all of those things, uh, one more, uh, acquisition. You know, one company wants to buy another company. Uh, so certainly those are things that banks would say yes to and are good reasons to borrow. Um, Two things that come to mind, uh, reasons you wouldn't want to borrow money and banks would, uh, would probably not look favorably on that is you don't borrow money to fund losses. If your business is losing money, uh, borrowing money to fund losses is like pouring gas on a fire. 
it's an accelerant. Uh, the other thing is there are business owners uh, that like to look at their business as their own personal cookie jar. Uh, they take a lot of distributions. Mm-hmm. And so banks are not really interested in loaning money to fund the business owner's lifestyle. So those would probably be two reasons why a bank wouldn't loan money uh, to either fund losses or fund distributions. Another thing would be uh, banks probably wouldn't finance anything that they consider to be of speculative nature. Uh, and again, coming from a very conservative point of view based on uh the leverage and the gross margin that I mentioned, uh, what I would define as speculative as an entrepreneur and what a banker defines as speculative are really two different things. So, you know, so I've, I've met, I'm, I imagine you have too, but you, you tell me that, you know, you, you do run into people that are just ideologically opposed or even borderline phobic of debt, right? And, and they're proud of the fact that their balance sheet has no liabilities to it. and you know, what do you, what do you think of that attitude? I mean, is that a, is that a healthy attitude or does that, is that attitude actually creating costs of its own? Yeah. So, um, I have a, uh, I have a client who's a professional services provider. Uh, she is totally opposed to borrowing money. Uh, as a matter of fact, now that I think of it, I have two, two clients. Uh, they don't believe in, in using debt. Uh, if there is a capital call in the business, they'll fund it out of their own pocket or fund it out of profits. And so I'm not really sure. It, it's kind of a choice. Uh, I would say it's a little unhealthy. Uh, and the reason is primarily there is a, a cost associated with that. Uh, all businesses need to have access to capital uh, from time to time. And so for a business to be opposed to debt, they've just taken one thing off the table as in terms of having access to capital that they won't use. Um, and then the other thing, I think, not having access to that capital, their ability to grow is going to be limited to how much internal cash that they can generate in order to accommodate that growth. So yes, there is a cost to that attitude. I think it can be limiting. Uh, but as far as whether it's healthy or not, uh, I certainly respect people's choices. But I think, as with anything else, choices have consequences. So um, a term you used earlier today that I want to make sure that we talk about because it's, 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 you can't really have a discussion about debt without it. What is the difference between a loan and a line of credit? And, and when is one more appropriate than the other? Yeah, so a loan in its purest sense is really a sum of money that is put out there. Um, and the structure of that loan really determines the difference between a loan and a line. So there are actually three types of loans. Uh, the line of credit is one. Uh, you borrow, repay, reborrow. Uh, and it's great for handling short-term cash flow needs. Um, The other two types, of course, there's a term loan. Uh, Term loans you use to borrow for equipment. Uh, And then the third is a a mortgage loan, Mike, which are used primarily, again, to purchase real estate, which then is is leased back uh, to the company. So loans fit into three categories, really just depending on 
what the money is used for, uh, and then how it's structured as for short-term versus long-term. Okay. Now, um, you know, banks aren't, aren't the only lenders. I think we, we, I think a lot of people think of when they think loans, they think of banks, right. Or, you know, they think of the loan shark who has the big fur coat and is going to break your kneecaps if you don't, if you don't pay back. But there's a lot in between those two, isn't there? Yeah, there really is. So, you know, if I'm, uh, if I'm going to walk down a balance sheet for a business owner, uh, I'm always going to look at bank debt first because accounts, accounts payable are a way of financing the business. Uh, but as far as actual, uh, bank financing or non-bank financing, uh, it's the cheapest source of capital. The interest rates are lower, but banks are basically loaning against the balance sheet and the income statement of that borrower. If they lost money last year or their balance sheet is leveraged, generally more than about $3 of debt to every $1 of equity, um, they're going to have a hard time. Uh, they can get a loan, but but generally uh, not beyond that. So for somebody that lost money last year or has a leveraged balance sheet, there are asset-based lenders. Uh, asset-based lenders don't care about the balance sheet. They don't care about the income statement. All they care about is the collateral. And so if you have $100,000 in accounts receivable, uh, you should be able to loan about or borrow about 75 to 80% of that, uh, but it carries a high interest rate. Generally, uh, there's a one to one and a half percent per month service charge. And then there's money usually at about prime plus two, prime plus three on top of that. So 1% a month for 12 months is 12% interest. Prime plus three is, is another six, six and a half. So all of a sudden, it adds up quick, Mike. That's an 18.5% loan. You're up to credit card rates. Yep. Uh, also, um, I'm going to say there are some what I'll call payday lenders. Honestly, I think they're borderline predatory lenders. There are some people that will loan you money, uh, but they ask you to pay a piece of it back every day. Yep. And sometimes the annual percentage rates on those loans can be in the 30s, even in the 40%. It's absolutely borderline criminal, in my view, uh, not to say anything disparagingly about those lenders. Uh, I'm sure they they serve a purpose, but uh, at such high interest rates, it, it's it's incredibly difficult for a business owner to, uh, uh, to sustain their business uh, because a lot of times those interest rates exceed the gross profit that the business is even generating. Yeah, and you know, um, you know, payday loans and their ilk are, are are kind of interesting. I mean, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm you know I'm generally a free market guy, but I but I also enjoy studying the psychology of decision making. Right? It's why it's why I do this podcast. And one of the things I've learned about about decision making in in crisis, and it almost doesn't matter if it's financial crisis or physical crisis or something else. But I've seen empirical studies that show that when, when a person is in crisis, the average person has a functional IQ reduction of between 10 to 15% in the midst of that crisis, right? So in effect, when you're in a crisis, most people become dumber <laughs> because right. 
because the nature of the crisis makes you tunnel visioned, it makes you focus on how do you solve the problem today the most painlessly, even though you're creating a problem 10 times bigger that you have to confront a week from now, right? But the psychology of crisis leads you into that, into that decision, right? So, you know, whether that means that's predatory, I'm not sure, but it doesn't, and I'm, I'm not afraid to say this, in my view, it does call for some regulation because you are, you're selling to what is effectively an impaired market, right? People say yeah. that it, it's fine to say that people are, are, are free to make their own decisions, but when, you, when, when there's data that shows that, that your market by definition is cognitively impaired by the very thing that you're, by the very thing that's leading them to come to you, Right. There's a clear conflict of interest. Right. And yeah. And I think at that point, the business owner in crisis uh, has uh, ultimately a concern that his, his or her business is no longer viable. And so they will go to almost uh, any length in order to uh, to make sure that their their business stays viable. And so um, I'm a big believer in the good, fast, cheap uh, pick any two. Uh, mm-hmm. If it's if it's good and if it's fast, there is no way it's going to be cheap. Uh, but I do think predatory lending uh, goes to the end extreme. It's not really good. Uh, it is fast, uh, but you're you're paying exorbitant interest rates for that speed. Yeah, and you know, and frankly, in that kind of scenario, you really should be looking at equity, right? And you you talked about you know if you're you talked about funding losses. It's, it's not as if there isn't a financial vehicle out there to help you. It's just that debt is the, wrong, is the wrong tool, right? If we take the circular saw, if you're in crisis, right, you're basically trying to cut a ham sandwich of the circular saw, right? And, and all you're going to do is get a messy kitchen if you try to do that. Um, but on, yeah, the other hand, on the other hand, if you're using equity, right, you're using a nice little, nice little nice Wusthof knife to cut that sandwich, yeah, it's going to be more expensive, but it, you know it's the right tool for the right job. Yeah, no question. So the nice thing about debt, debt magnifies gains, but debt, the downside is debt also magnifies losses. Right. So people that use debt are able to grow quicker, but people who use debt when they're, you know, when they're funding losses, uh, it magnifies those losses as well because you're basically borrowing money that you can't pay back and the interest expense uh, pushes your break even point even higher. Uh, so you're in effect uh, borrowing into your future uh, when your future is actually trending negatively. So what, what about, um, you know, there are non-bank lenders out there um, and not just, not just the, um, you know, the asset based lenders, but there are mezzanine lenders. There are sort of, you know, and maybe you're talking about the same thing. If we are, you can feel free to correct me. But you know, you know lenders for subprime borrowers. I, I think there's a, if I'm not mistaken, there's a group out there that's not quite. You know, they're not they're not payday lender types, but they're also a credit that's available at a higher interest rate that you know is not bankable from a banking sure. standpoint, right? So, you know, what are those groups like? And you know, are Frank are they legit? Um, is, is, is interfacing with them similar or different from that with a bank? What does that, what does that world kind of look like? Well, so, um, necessity is the mother of invention. Access to capital for business owners has been critical, 
Uh, we went through a period of time where banks were somewhat unhealthy. I think banks are, are healthy now, mm -hmm. but over the last 10 years, quite a few non-banks have entered the market. Uh, possibly the benefit is they don't necessarily have to chin to the same regulatory environments uh, that, that banks do. Um, and so, yeah, I think there are some viable entities out there that can provide capital. Uh, they actually re require sources of funding. Uh, they probably go to the public markets, uh, borrow that money, and then and then loan it back out on a spread. But no, I think there are there are viable options out there uh, that non-bank lenders provide uh, and have kind of helped give business owners access to capital that that banks either can or can't provide given whatever the prevailing economic factors are. So once you get into the lending world at all, the financial world at all, you'll start to hear terms like senior debt, junior debt, subordinated debt. You know, quick, can you quickly give us a vocabulary lesson? What do those things mean relative to one another? Yeah. So uh, first, uh, senior debt is is in the senior position. So it's the highest uh, of the of the debt positions, uh, typically senior debt is is predominantly bank debt. Uh, there are a lot of growth companies out there uh, that have lending requirements behind that. Uh, generally, junior debt means that it is uh, subordinate uh, to the senior debt. That junior debt is also uh, mixing terms here, but subordinated debt. It's it's actually debt that exists under the senior debt, uh, accomplishes some great things. First, for that growth company, they get access to capital. Uh, the senior debt, looking at that junior subordinated debt, underwrites that debt as if it were equity. And so for a senior lender's point of view, uh, that junior debt gives them extra comfort that there's cash behind their debt that is also capitalizing the business. Uh, from the junior or subordinated debt, they provide a very viable uh, access to capital uh, that the senior debt holder is is unwilling to provide. So, but yeah, all you're really doing uh, is looking at banks in the senior position, junior debt and subordinated debt are those institutions that that provide capital uh, subordinate to that senior position. So I wonder if this is true, and I'm speculating here. Is there also kind of a an emotional comfort component that if you're a senior lender and you know there's somebody who's willing to come in and be a junior lender, that it just sort of validates your your judgment? Yeah, absolutely. Just not out there on a limb, guess, right? Yeah, and the uh, uh, the other thing is if for one reason or another uh, that senior debt holder uh, decides that maybe they're uh, wanting to exit that credit. Uh, there is a junior position behind them who may be willing to take them out if they decide to to exit. Mm. So it really gives the senior debt holder an opportunity to uh, be taken out if needed. Uh, from the junior subordinated, it gives them the opportunity to potentially uh, by taking that out, they become the senior debt holder. Uh, and then that allows other juniors to come in under them. 
Uh, I want to switch gears here. Um, you know, uh, I, w- I want to talk. I'd like to talk about the intersection and interdependence, if there is any, on personal credit versus corporate credit. Um, do lend? I mean, there must be at some point, I guess. But you tell me where it is. You know, where is the point where lenders make a distinction or stop making a distinction? Maybe that's easier between the company as a borrower and the owner as a borrower. You know, can there, is there a separation between the two? Or as far as lenders are concerned, is the buyer, are the buyer and the company the same thing? And so, you know, does the credit worthiness, does the credit score of one impact the other? Um, You know, how are those two things linked, if at all? Yeah, uh, that's another great question. So generally speaking, uh, a closely held business where the ownership is closely held, usually concentrated in anywhere from maybe one to three or four partners. Um, the personal credit score of either that individual or individuals, in effect, is the business credit score by proxy. Okay. And so uh, the credit worthiness of that business is frankly dependent on the credit score of those individuals. When you get to businesses that aren't closely held, the ownership is widely dispersed. Uh, publicly held companies, for example, uh, where the ownership is widely dispersed, uh, they have access to sources of capital outside the market. Uh, those businesses usually have their own credit score. If they're publicly traded, they're going to have a rating by S&P or Moody's. Uh, they may have a rating by Dun & Bradstreet. Uh, so in those cases, those businesses have developed their own uh, credit score, no longer replying on the ownership because it's so widely distributed. So the intersection is once a, uh, once a closely held business becomes publicly held, uh, you know, the owner's credit score is, is no longer. So, you know, sometimes I hear from borrowers that they'll say, well, you know, the bank wouldn't lend me money if they didn't, if they didn't think I can repay. And, um, to me, that sounds like a little bit of a dangerous statement because you're, you're, to me, I think you're kind of offloading too much responsibility to the bank to make the right decision for you. But I like you to respond to that. I mean, is, is, can you take some comfort, even if you yourself have maybe misgivings, maybe, and maybe we'll take that person that's kind of debt phobic as, as, as a good example. Um, you know, is, is the very fact that a bank is willing to lend money to you is that somehow self-validating for the company? Yeah. So um, when I was in banking, the knock on bankers to your point was, oh, gosh, banks just loan money to businesses that don't need it. And uh, and so that that is a prevailing thought out there. However, uh, the reality is 80% of an income comes uh, by lend, uh, 80% of a bank's income comes from lending money. Like, so if banks yep. don't loan, uh, they can't. So, uh, bottom line, I think, uh, a, someone who says that could be maybe that person that got declined primarily because there was a factor within those five C's, you know, maybe they didn't have sufficient cash flow. Uh, maybe their balance sheet was a little too leveraged. Maybe they were wanting to borrow the money for a speculative purpose. 
And it just made those things, the sum total of those things, unbankable. Also, I will say there are probably, because of COVID, there are a lot of good businesses that in a good economic environment were able to borrow money, but not able to borrow money in a COVID type environment. So the economic conditions also play big into that, uh, into that decision. So um, I want to go back to kind of the, the personal versus um, company kind of debt profile, if you will. Um, how do personal guarantees work? Are, are most business loans to a small business going to require a personal guarantee? Can, can you talk a, a little bit about how they work and how, if I'm a borrower, should I be expected to provide a personal guarantee and what that looks like? Yeah. So, uh, I got to take you back to my Peachtree bank days. So I was, I was, uh, I graduated from being the repo man, uh, just beginning to do, uh, uh, small business lending. And so my boss said to me, cause the subject of personal guarantees, um, came up and his comment to me was Mike, and it really resonated to me. He said, Bill, if a business owner isn't willing to stand behind his or her business, why should I? And so part of that uh, personal guarantee is, yes, a closely held business, 9.9 times out of 10, it's going to require a personal guarantee for that very reason. Um, if the business owner won't stand behind their business, then why should the bank stand behind it? Uh, interestingly, though, just yesterday, uh, I had uh, an email from an owner that I worked with. So he was offered um, a six-figure line of credit. It was at 4%. There was a 2.5% origination fee, but it was unsecured and unguaranteed. Now, it was not a bank. It was a non-bank. But the rate was attractive. The fee was high, um, but unguaranteed. I mean, that that really kind of caught me off guard. So uh, I guess it is out there, but I have not seen it at a bank. So the, I mean, bottom line, be pleasantly surprised if you're not asked for a personal guarantee. And, and maybe a question to think about before you even start the borrowing process is be prepared for that question, right? If, if you're And if you're not, you're not prepared to make that personal guarantee, it may not be a good use of your time or the banks to even pursue the discussion. Precisely. You're spot on. Okay. So um, how can how can can borrowers evaluate their own attractiveness to potential lenders? Is there a any kind of self-assessment tool that 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 borrowers can can use to you know understand where they might lie and maybe try to improve their, their, their profile, their attractiveness before they start this process? Yeah, uh, such a great question. So a lot of times I talk to my, uh, to my clients that I'm working with about what it means to be bankable. And so uh, the quick answer is, if you lost money last year, you're going to have a hard time borrowing money this year because banks believe the best indicator of the future is the past. Mm -hmm. And if you lost money last year, you're going to lose money this year. They won't believe you until you've gone through a full year and made a profit. So self-assessment, profitability, absolutely. 
Second thing is leverage. Uh, how much skin in the game do you have in your business versus how much skin in the game do your creditors have? Uh, if you have more than $3 of debt to every dollar of equity, a bank will consider you highly leveraged and that could cause uh, an issue with your ability to borrow. So probably the other things uh, in a difference to profitability and leverage, if you consistently have low liquidity, not much cash on hand, uh, the bank is going to have some concerns. Uh, the other thing is if you're not good at collecting your receivables, and frankly, you're borrowing money uh, to replace receivables that you're either unwilling or unable to collect, uh, banks are going to have a hard time doing that. So I have a little acronym that I call PAL, uh, profitability, asset quality, which is how are you turning your receivables in your inventory, liquidity, and leverage. And so a self-assessment going through PAL, uh, which I do for my clients, I provide a uh, uh, business financial checkup. I suggest, you know, each one of us gets a physical every year, uh, but often business owners don't put through put their business through one. So we, we provide that as a service so that they know once a year uh, what's going on in their business. And it also helps them understand whether they're bankable or not. We're talking with Bill McDermott, the profitability coach. And the subject is, should I borrow money for my company? And um, Bill, just got a couple more questions before, uh, before we let you go. Um, but, but a question I do want to get to is, um, you know, so much of the economy now is a service firm, which means that they're unlikely to have the kind of collateral that a manufacturing firm has. And I think it's something that the banking industry is really wrestling with quite a bit. Is it, can, can service firms borrow money or are there certain conditions under which they can or can't? Yeah, and I think that is something that maybe has evolved over time, Mike. The uh, uh, historically service firms versus uh, firms that deliver a product, it is a little more nebulous to understand uh, the delivery of a service versus a delivery of a product. You can actually determine when that product has been delivered versus service. Uh, I think that has changed over time. Uh, I work with a lot of professional services firms, uh, architects, engineers. I have an interior designer. I uh, have a psychology practice. All of those are providing services, but yet banks are, are willing and able to loan them money. So the, the risk from the bank's point of view is it's easier to determine delivery of a product than it is delivery of a service. But I do think the banking industry has gotten comfortable with loaning money to service firms over the years. Um, are there times when you work with clients that are thinking about borrowing and you tell them, you know what, skip it, just put it on a credit card. <laughs> and if so, what, what does it look like? Yeah. Uh, you know, I would say for a newer business, uh, just getting started, uh, there's really no credit history, uh, General rule of thumb is to get a bank line of credit. They like to see at least uh, three years of history uh, to loan money. So, yeah, for somebody who's just getting started, uh, you know, I would suggest uh, get a business credit card. Uh, I know when I started, uh, I got a uh, I got a company card through uh, American Express. 
Uh, I do think it's a great idea. Don't do it on a personal card, primarily because, um, you know, when it comes to uh, borrowing money, you want a clear audit trail uh, as far as lending money for your business versus, uh, you know, or excuse me, borrowing money for your business versus borrowing money personally. Bill, this is a, this has been a, a great conversation. I, I, the more questions I could ask, but we're, we have limited time. Um, is there, would you be willing to answer questions of people that may have a question that we didn't get a chance to cover here? And if so, what's the best way for them to contact you? Oh, sure. Uh, and I would love to, uh, probably the best way to do that is, uh, go to the profitabilitycoach.net. Uh, there is a, uh, uh, prompt in there where if they want to contact me, uh, the other way is uh, uh, phone number 770-597-3136. I always pick up the phone and answer unless I'm in front of a client. Um, but Mike, I launched this business uh, with the goal of helping business owners become better financial managers. And so First, I want to applaud you for even bringing up the topic. There is a lot of mystique around it. Uh, but the, the goal is I want to give business owners financial clarity uh, out of uh, all of the chaos of what the options are and which is best. So I'm, I'm always happy to help any business owner that, uh, that wants to contact me. Well, thank you. Um, That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Bill McDermott so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.